Hey friends, before we get to today's episode, I want to talk to you about unicorns. You know I think we're all unicorns because we have special gifts and talents, and because we're all so special, it's important that we invest in things that will help us get to the next level. In fact, 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, visit HubSpot.com slash startups. As a Gen X, we're kind of like the problem here. My generation looks at it a bit and goes, I don't understand these millennials that don't want to work. Well, that's like starting a business saying, I've started a law firm and I've got no clients. They just don't understand what I do. No, your job as starting a business is to create something that customers want to buy. And if we think about this in terms of the Gen Zs, then we just need to create something where someone wants to work. Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. No Straight Path is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals, and we are digging into the human stories behind success. My hope, as always, is that you just leave this conversation inspired, motivated, and excited about your journey. Wow, I cannot believe that it's already March. February is way too short. I'm happy we got to dig in to some special episodes on love and celebrating Black stories. And this week, I decided to add one more love story to the mix because why not? (laughs) Relationships and love are a large part of our humanity and our story, and they definitely affect our No Straight Path journey. So we should talk about it. But before we get to today's guest, I do have a few quick updates. First off, I will be speaking at Podcast Movement Evolutions in Vegas on March 10th. I'm just so excited. I'm joining Alana Joseph, Head of Creator Partnerships at HubSpot, and Emily Thompson from Being Boss to discuss entrepreneurship from a creator's perspective. Love these women. This panel is going to be really great. Hope to see you guys there. All of my fellow podcasters who are listening, reach out to me on LinkedIn, on all the socials so we can connect while we are in Vegas. And the second update is that we do have a special birthday coming up. It's the podcast birthday. No Straight Path will be a year old this month. And I just, uh, I just can't believe it. It's like my baby. I'm really proud of the community we are building. And I know we're just getting started. And thank you all for being here, for building this community. And in order to continue to build this community and keep the show going, I am launching a Kickstarter this month. The link to the Kickstarter will be in next week's show notes. So stay tuned for that. If this show has added value to your life, then I'd appreciate any support you can provide. Share it with friends or family. Reach out to me. Whatever we can do to spread the message. I'd love that. All right, let's get to today's guest. We have Leanne and Al Elliott from the Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture Podcast, which is also part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Leanne and Al are a wonderful husband and wife team and founders of Oblong, which is a one-stop shop for owner leaders who want to build a great culture. They are in the business of people, so we connected immediately. 
And Leanne is a certified business psychologist, consultant, and leadership coach with a proven track record of building workplaces that empower teams and enable performance. With over 15 years of experience, she's built a reputation for recruiting top talent, nurturing well-being, and developing high-performance cultures in leading private and public organizations. So this includes the NHS, Department of Work and Pensions, Pinnacle People, and Ariel Executive and RBS. So if you haven't already caught on, they are from the UK, Leanne and Al. Al is an entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience in growing and sustaining successful businesses. He is a master marketer who has used his passion for digital marketing to grow a number of companies. So from the fun-led days of give me some beer to the altruistic drive of the Homeowners Advice Center, he has experienced how creating businesses with a clear mission that provided others with purpose served as a key driver for growth. And I think providing your team with purpose is so important. As many of you know, I am passionate about creating human-centered work cultures and more generally, a human-centered society. When we put people first, we make the world a better place. And I know that may sound a bit corny and simple, but the reality is this practice is not inherent in our society. It's something we need to notice, pay attention to, and really commit to. And there's often a constant tension between this mission and profitability and productivity, but they can all exist. They can all coexist. We touched a bit on this topic in my conversation with Lexi V, the founder of Sista Circle Black Women in Tech, and she's doing a lot of work to create equity in the workplace. And she said something really profound. She said, it's not about the work. It's about how we treat people and empower people to do the work. And that really stuck with me. It's so true. You know, we all have to eat. We all have to live. We all have to pay our bills. So we need to work. And we often spend a lot of our lives working. And our work cultures have such a large impact on our well-being and ability to excel in our careers and in our lives. And Leanne and Al are doing this important work. So I was just so excited to talk to them. I loved our conversation. And also please excuse my voice on this episode because Leanne and Al are digital nomads. I said they are from the UK, but they're currently in Croatia and there's a bit of a time difference. So it was early for me, (laughs) but fortunately they share some great insights and do most of the talking. So let's get to it. Alan Leanne, I'm so happy to have you both on No Straight Path. Thank you so much for being here. Even with the time difference, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's a pleasure. We're really excited to be on, on your podcast and get to know you and, and hopefully let you and your listeners know a bit more about us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, let's do it. We're going to get a little personal. I'd love to know your love story. I'd love to know how you met. Can you tell us the story? I think it's maybe slightly unusual story, but we both used to volunteer for a charity called the Samaritans. Not sure if you're familiar with it, but in the UK, it's a listening service, so a telephone service for people who feel in distress or despair, including feelings of suicide. So we were both volunteer listeners. This was a while ago, yeah, 2006, seven. Seven, yeah. So as part of that, we did an overnight, we had to do overnight shifts. So we'd, we'd be on the phones talking to people from 11 p.m. till 7 a.m. in the morning. And as part of that as well, the, the training behind Samaritans is amazing. We talk about it a lot on our podcast and with our clients and our business because the skills that we learn from it, we still apply so much. So, yeah, as part of it, we have great training and 
Al was still on his probation. So the first six months as a listener, you have to do your shift with somebody who's more experienced. And that was me, even though Al is a few years younger than me. Older. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, older. Did I'm I say quite, younger? Yeah, I'm, I'm about seven older. years, seven, eight years older than Leanne. Okay. So yeah. So we're sitting, phone when Al picks it up and then starts chatting to the caller. Turns out that it was a really serious call. It was somebody who was going through significant challenges and had taken an overdose and had phoned up to not be alone in that moment. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that Samaritans is great at training you for is you do lots of role play about people who are in distress, despair, but then also what happens with they they call it a three, which is like the most serious call, a suicide in progress. And so this this lady described her life. She described that she said she'd taken pills. She started to become less coherent as the conversation went on, maybe on the phone for about 45 minutes. And after 45 minutes, she just stopped talking. And I didn't know what had happened, whether she'd passed away, whether she was just gone in a coma, whether she got in a, you know, some didn't know what happened, but basically I knew that she was no longer on the end of the line. Now, yeah, it was an intense call because I was listening in as the more experienced Samaritan and guiding Al through, mm-hmm. giving me help when he did, although he was fantastic, he didn't need much help. But part of it as well is trying to get all the information we can from the caller. So if, if they change their mind, we have the information we need to get them the medical help that mm-hmm. they need. And this person didn't. And as Al said, they passed out. So it was an intense call. It was a long call. This was the first time we'd met each other or worked together. So we switched off the lines after that call and had a cup of tea and had a chat about how we're feeling. What do we do from here? Do we feel okay? And then we went on with the rest of our shift after about 20 minutes of dealing with that conversation. And then about half past six in the morning, the phone went again and I answered it and it was the same lady. And she'd woken up and she decided that she didn't want to end her life and there was hope. And could I please, if I can find him, thank the man that she spoke to because he made a difference and that was out. And the weird thing is that wow. the way this man set up is that if you ring up from anywhere overnight, you ring up, then you could go to any one of the like 80 odd Samaritan centers and they split the call like sort of like there's this sort of waterfall system with the calls where it'll go. So you ring up, you're so unlikely to come through to the same person and it just so happened to come through. So in most cases like that, you go away from your shift, and you never know what happens. And this was the one time that I know about where anyone has found out what's happened and someone's wrong back and said. So it was a really intense situation. And I think we finished about seven o'clock in the morning and I wanted to ask Leanne, say, do you want to go for a coffee or something? And then I felt it was a bit inappropriate because she was essentially my boss. <laughs> so I felt it was a bit inappropriate. So I didn't. And then I found out later that you did want me to ask you that. Well, there's this awkward moment outside the centre where like it was just getting light in Manchester in the UK and we're kind of looking at you going, well, you know, that was that was intense, wasn't it? And you know, maybe I'll see you again sometime. And then I'll just kind of like touch my shoulder and then just turned around and walked off. And I was like, oh, where's he gone? Where's he going? <laughs> and I think it's probably about six months then before our first date. And you finally did ask me out. Yeah. Yeah. So then I asked her out and we went out for a drink. And then I did a proper, have you ever seen Hugh Grant in some of these romantic rom-coms? Then I did a yeah. bit of a rom-com thing. Because at the <laughs> end of it, end of our date, I kind of went up to, she was about to get on the bus to go back to South Manchester. And I walked up to her and went, look, I've got a girlfriend. I'm really sorry. I just want to tell you that. But I really like you. And then the bus came literally at that moment. She got on the bus and off she went. And I was like, oh, I think I might have blown that. (laughs) But obviously I didn't because here we are, what, 13 years later, perhaps longer, perhaps 15 years later. Yeah, yeah, three, four months went by. Al broke up with his girlfriend and the rest is history. (laughs) 
Yeah. Wow. That is a beautiful and unconventional story. I love that so much. And I had never heard of the Samaritans. I'm, I'm not familiar with it. Perhaps it's just my narrow view of the world being an American. But <laughs> so I appreciate you sharing that information about that organization. Can you tell me why you both decided to volunteer with this specific organization? What inspired you and brought you there? Mine, if I'm being honest, was a little bit self-serving initially. I was just started my undergraduate degree in psychology. I was considering going into counseling psychology and I was advised by a lecturer to try and get some experience. I think it was actually the university that was advertising the Samaritans were looking for listeners. So I went along and went through the recruitment process, went onto the training very quickly realized I didn't want to be a counseling psychologist simply because of the way you have to detach yourself after mm. each shift took a lot of effort and it took a lot of practice as well actually to get into that space where you could leave what happened there. And I just thought if I'm doing that every day, all day, I'm not sure I, I'm quite ready yet. But equally, I found so much value from the Samaritans. I was there five, six years in the end, well past my degree finished, but I'll had a much more altruistic drive. Well, well, I think I was reading at the time a lot of Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield and all this. And I'd built a business beforehand, maybe about sort of 05, 06, and it went bankrupt. Or Well, I went bankrupt for about 100 grand. And I was there and I got no money. And I was like, okay, I need to, I'm building another business, a property business, which we have today and went very well. But at the time it wasn't. And I was like, what do successful people do? So I was reading a lot of these books and one of them was saying that there's a Jewish idea of tithing where you put 10% of your money aside to charity, I think. And so they were saying, well, successful people do the same with their time. They take 10% of their working week and put it to good use, to good causes. I think so. I did a couple of hours of mentoring like a 15 to 16 year old kid at a high school. And then I went to a primary school and read stories or listened to kids reading in Salford in Manchester, which is, they tend not to be, they tend to be lots of family with, without positive male role models. So they are looking for people to come in to be potentially that positive role model. But really the Samaritans were just like, oh yeah, my mum had been a Samaritan. I didn't really know much about it. And so I just thought, yeah, okay, well, let's go and look. And so I found it and the training was amazing and the people were cool and that was the reason why I joined. So yeah, like Leanne, we stayed there for about five years. I became the chairman for a little bit. We were both on the board for a bit. Leanne was in charge of selection. I went into the prisons and listened to people in prison. It was such a great experience and one that I think we both think we're really lucky to have had rather than they were lucky to have two people volunteering. After years of a solely romantic partnership, Leanne and Al decided to go into business together. Leanne was doing consultancy work and Al was doing sales and marketing work. Their working lives were separate, yet they were working in close proximity, often bouncing ideas off of each other. In fact, they left the UK in 2013 and they've been digital nomads since then. They've hopped around to various Airbnbs and rented apartments. A lot of their working lives have been working remotely together. They started a travel podcast in 2018 and decided to start the Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture podcast in 2022. I was curious about the strengths they bring to the partnership and how that dynamic plays out in their business. I think I'm more risk averse, without a doubt. I'm much more realistic in my outlook and let's worry this up and where are the risk, how well could it go, what could go wrong. And I think that comes from being quite reflective and lots of scenario planning. And I think as well from in terms of what we do as a business, I'm so passionate about creating 
environments where people just feel fulfilled and love their work and love their life and feel like they're doing great things. And I think as much as we're different in our strengths, I think we share that passion for, and I guess it stems from, you know, as both joining the Samaritans, we want to make an impact, we want to try and make people's lives better in whatever way that that we can. So I think as much as it's having the different skill sets, it's having that shared passion, that shared vision. But I think what works well, and you might say differently, but I think Al will come in and go, I've had this amazing idea and it's going to change the world. And I'll be like, is it though? And then we'll meet somewhere in the middle to figure out an idea that might have some impact in the world. But yeah, I think we complement each other that way. Al's a dreamer and I love that about him. Yeah, definitely. And it, I think it's good to have someone on the other end, you know, they always talk about with Disney, you're supposed to have like the very creatives never meet the actual sort of accountants, for example, because the two of them are just going to fight. And I think that what's good is that Leanne knows me enough for me to come up and go, I'm got this idea it's going to make us a hundred grand and Leanne's going to take that think about it and go what he means he's got an idea it's got like a one in four chance of working and it'll probably make us 10 grand <laughs> but but she doesn't sort of like tell me you're completely wrong that's stupid don't do that you know so I think that that's the skill that Leanne's got of managing me and also so almost like a hot air balloon if, if Leanne's the basket keeping us grounded then I'm the balloon that lifts us up but without the basket, I'd be up in the sky and dead. And without the balloon, the would be on I the floor. I never would have got off the ground, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think those skills really sort of, in terms of general, those skills, it's good to have. I think if you are starting out with your partner, starting a business, and you're both ultra pessimistic or ultra optimistic, one of you needs to play a role of being a bit more grounded. And one of you needs to play the role of being a little bit more dreamy, I think. And I think that's a really important thing as well, actually, is, is having that conversation of, what is the role that you want me to play in this scenario? What is the role I need you to play in this scenario? And sometimes, you know, you do have a day where you just like, I want to, I want to just completely dream. Let's just fantasize about what could be. But then the next day, what I need you to do is rip this apart and, and find the holes and find the risk factors and, and put it together. And I think it's having that conversation of what do you need from me today? And what do I need from you? I think other things like in a practical sense, the actual skills is that, for example, you asked us the question, what skills do we both have? Like Leanne's psychology, science, amazing. I'm marketing branding. We came up with an idea last summer, didn't we, for a well-being survey tool that Leanne worked on. And she came up with these amazing, she found there were seven cornerstones of well-being. It was incredible. And then she told me and I was like, wait a minute, four of these start with the letter R. So can we make the other three start with the letter R? And we could then rx7 r times seven was born and mm -hmm. so i basically took this amazing science that Leanne came up with and just branded it slightly so it's a little bit snappier and a little bit more marketing like the Leanne calls it marketing dust i just sprinkle a little bit on top and then it just became this amazing product that we've now got that's called the rx7 whereas before we, we don't know what the scientist Leanne would have called it the study of Something really dull, probably. <laughs> but yeah, but exactly that. I probably would have nerded out on the, the evidence behind the science and what does this mean from an empirical perspective, and which is nice. I'm sure the psychologists would have appreciated that, but small business owners wouldn't have. So yeah, you need that different perspective to market in a way that's going to resonate because otherwise it's, it's useless. If no one uses something that's going to make a difference, it never will. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that dynamic that you have together. <laughs> So friends, we're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about another amazing podcast, and that's Latinx Empower, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez, which is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Latinx Empower is a podcast that features interviews with top-level executives, 
entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insights from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their careers. I think you'll love a recent episode on toxic positivity in the workplace. Listen to Latinx in Power wherever you get your podcasts. And you've been doing some really incredible work. I've been listening to your podcast and I'm just curious about your perspective on how to create a more human-centered culture in business because it's something I'm really passionate about. Yeah, it's something we share that passion for as well. And I think I think the thing with culture is it can feel quite intangible. And we kind of say that it's not kind of like the classic definition of culture is it's how we do things around here. We look at it more as, as what leaders can do to nurture a culture that is people first and is going to nurture well-being and nurture engagement. And for us, that means defining foundations of culture that leaders can influence, can provide, can react to. And that is where the RX7 came from. Exactly mm-hmm. that thought. How do we distill it in a way that is tangible for business leaders? So I won't go through all seven, but I guess just to pick out a couple that I think are important and resonate across organizations. Reason. Having a vision, having purpose and meaning behind your business, associating that with your values, taking it one step further and and turning those values into behaviors. What does it mean to be bold in this organization or imaginative in this organization? What behaviors do we expect to see in our people? And then talking about that vision in a way that relates to every single person in that business so they can, it resonates with them. They can cling on to it as well. Because if we have meaning, in our work, if we're part of something that we feel is bigger than us, then that's huge for our fulfillment and that's huge for our engagement and huge for our well-being. The second dog going into that is role. So if I know what the reason is, what the vision for this business is, what is my role in making this mission come to life? And there's a, there's a classic quote, and I wonder if it's actually an urban legend. It might be. But have you heard the janitor in, in visiting NASA? And meeting yes, I've heard, DFK? yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so asking the janitor what, you know, the president asked, what do you do around here? I'm, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. And that is a perfect example of how someone can translate the vision into their individual role, even if it's less direct. And I think as well, having that understanding of what you do, that clarity around what you do, removing any kind of ambiguity, because ambiguity causes us stress. And our brains don't like stress. And that doesn't help with our well-being or our performance. And then finally, I think relationships are really important particularly having supportive managers. And we always say if there's one thing as a small business you invest in, invest in great managers because these are the people who are going to have the biggest impact on your business's performance and your employees' engagement and their well-being. You want managers that are going to nurture talent, inspire talent, support talent. And I think if you're going to get one thing right, invest in your managers. Yeah. And I've got, like we always say in the podcast, I'm not the expert in any way. I've run businesses, started businesses, but Leanne's definitely the expert. But it's funny because even back in the day when I was running business, I was reading Good to Great by Jim Collins. I was reading, you know, sort of some of the classic books, which I hadn't realized were telling you about culture. It's like 37 Signals remote book. You know, they were telling you about culture and I didn't know what that was. So what's really interesting now is that Leanne knows all the science behind it. She also knows how to apply it to a business. But I also, I know what questions that people, owners are going to ask who don't know what they don't know. You talk about heart centric. 
they might go, I just want a nice place for my people to work. Mm -hmm. And then when they learn a bit more about what you do and go, oh, I know I understand what heart centric. Okay, now I've got it. So I'm sort of almost like the audience for Leanne. So I can say, no, no, hang on. What does that actually mean? And I think that's quite useful to have that dynamic. Yeah. And I think you've brought up a really good point there as well, which I think is, is absolutely central to a, a people first culture is that talking to people and that is facilitated by relationships, but creating that psychological safety where people can question you and people can share their ideas and, and their concerns equally. They can contribute. They feel safe to do that without fear of any kind of negative consequence or, or judgment and having that employee voice Again, from a well-being perspective and from an engagement perspective, we know the research tells us what's one of the most powerful things that we can do. So, And that's a case of, as Al said, they're talking to the leaders. What do you want your culture to look like? What's important to you? Because if your values and your passions translate into the culture, that's going to be the most powerful thing that you can do and the most sustainable thing as well in terms of, of creating a culture that inspires people. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. There is one thing that I've been thinking about, because I've talked to some people, you provided that example, the NASA, the janitor, JFK story that we're not sure actually occurred, but I've heard it several <laughs> times. A lot of psychologists and organizational psychologists I speak with, they've referenced that specific scenario. And I've talked to other people in my peer group and in Gen Z about this, and they're just not buying it. They're like, if I'm scrubbing toilets, I'm not going to be happy. So what do we do about the people who can't really change their mindset or their framing. And perhaps there's even like this change in culture, perhaps you've seen it, like the way that we even look at work is different post pandemic. I feel like work perhaps may not be the center of a lot of people's lives anymore. We're thinking about it a lot differently and perhaps it's just somewhere we go and we pay our bills and how do we inspire those people? Do we need to inspire those people? Do you have any thoughts about this shift? Yeah, it is, it is a huge shift. And I think it's definitely a shift that I, I'm an older millennial. So I definitely start to see it in my early career, this kind of pushback and this power struggle start to happen. Mm -hmm. And I think the pandemic has just accelerated that at a rate we didn't expect. I think the thing is, I mean, in terms of first, in, in terms of the analogy, the metaphor, the story of it, I get it. And if, you know, if you're not passionate about, and you say you're scrubbing toilets, but to somebody that might translate to creating a safe and healthy workplace for people, you know, protecting health. It depends how you translate your job into what that means to you in terms of your own fulfillment. But I remember talking to a manager in, a, in an organization we were working with where we were trying to dig into the values and what the, what the culture was and how we could create meaning. It was an accountancy firm. He was an accountant. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, what's your purpose? What do you do here? What's your role? And he said, I help business leaders sleep at night. And I was like, what? He was like, well, if, you know, we get all the accounts right mm. and they know how much money they've got to spend here and invest in, then they sleep well. That's what I'm here to do. So I think there needs to be some work around both at an individual level and organization level in terms of what work means to us. Mm -hmm. And as an organization, like I said, that reason, those values, what's the bigger picture? So whether you are scrubbing the toilets or you're doing the bookkeeping or, you know, you're in HR or marketing, how are you contributing to this some something bigger and I think in terms of an individual if they're feeling uninspired by work or or can't find work that gives them that fulfillment I think it's one understanding that from a psychological perspective our workplace has shifted a lot quicker than our minds have and our psychology has work is a source of meaning and fulfillment in our lives and if we don't get it from work we need to get it from somewhere else mm -hmm. because from a mental health perspective and a burnout risk perspective if we're missing meaning 
then we're on a fast track to burnout. There's some really great exercise that people can do to figure out what's important to them. There's one called Vitals. I'm not sure if you've come across it before. I don't. So Vitals is now. So Vitals is a really cool exercise that you can do. I'm sure if you Google it or it'll come up, but you talk about, you reflect on what your values are to you as a person, personally or professionally, both. You talk about your interests. What what is it that inspires me, that that gives me energy? Again, whether that's professionally or, or on a hobby perspective. So you have your interest your temperament are you laid back are you quite ambitious do you want to be surrounded by activity all the time because that's going to help you define the types of environments that again are going to give you energy and the, the list goes on from kind of your how you prefer to spend your days what your strengths are and going through that as an individual I think will help you assess what work means to you or how it can fit into a bigger part of your life mm-hmm. or if work isn't going to play that role for you and that's okay what is going to play that role for you? Is it your community? Is it building your own business? Is it something else? But I think it's naive to think that we don't need this sense of greater meaning and purpose in our lives. From a psychology perspective, we know that that's vital to our mental health. I think the question is more, if you're, you as an individual are deciding not to derive that meaning and fulfillment from work, really think about where you're going to get that energy from. I think as an organization, thinking about how do I create an environment where it's going to give young people the type of work that is going to inspire them, that is going to provide the meaning they do want to contribute to. This is a problem from both sides, I think. Yeah. And I think as, as a Gen X, we're kind of like the problem here. My generation looks at it a bit and goes, I don't understand these millennials that don't want to work. Well, that's like starting a business saying, I've started a law firm and I've got no clients. They just don't understand what I do. No, your job as starting a business is to create something that customers want to buy. And if we think about this in terms of the Gen Zs, then we just need to create something where someone wants to work. It's the same thing as in business. We can't blame customers. Like who wants to buy razor blades, for example, 10, 15 years ago? It was Gillette and you go and buy it because it was a necessity. Now, then Dollar Shave Club came along, Harry's came along. They made this kind of like, not necessarily fun, but a bit more engaging. And they actually went, right, okay, we're going to go out there and find the customers. So it's got to be the same. Our generation have to take responsibility that people don't want to work the same way as we did. We look up to our parents, which are the boomers. They were stuck in an office. They had to work hard because that was what their job is. Now we're looking three generations down to the Gen Z they don't want to do the same thing. So why are we making them do the same stuff? Why not tap into the creativity? Why not find out what they're good at? Yes, of course, we're going to need people who are going to scrub toilets and answer emails and stuff. But as Leanne said, give yourself a bit more a reason, put some reason around what you're doing there, and then just find out ways in which you can attract them. What is it you can give them? All right, you'll be scrubbing toilets for six months, and then you'll move up to something different. It's our responsibility as employers, not just to sit back and go, the youth of today, they don't want to work because that's just lazy and that's just not cool. I think as well, what makes me smile is this conversation has happened every 10 to 15 years since I've started working at, at 16. You know, it was the same with the millennials. Millennials were the devil. They were the people <laughs> that, you know, it was a similar conversation. They have too yeah. high expectations. They want to progress too quickly. It's just another iteration of the same conversation that's been happening for years. But equally, it is our responsibility as business owners to create environments and businesses that can inspire people that they want to give their time and want to put their energy into. 
But equally, we don't necessarily have to have all the solutions and the answers. Like we were saying before, employee voice is really important. If you're in a business and you're not sure how to connect and engage with your your Gen Zs or or your millennials, talk to them. Find out what does inspire them, what does give them value, what elements of their job that they do enjoy and want to do more of, or what elements outside of work are giving them energy and passion. You know, if someone has a podcast or a YouTube channel or or something else that could actually add value within the business, craft a role that's that's going to add value to your business and keep this great, talented person working for you. The solutions are there. I think we just need to be a bit more transparent, a lot less judgmental and have an open conversation. Yeah, no, I love all of those thoughts. I think they're really great. And I do think that as I've gotten older, I always say I'm becoming like in my auntie phase when I talk to some of the younger people in the Gen Z generation and they have some complaints about how perhaps the workplace is being run specifically when, in my job. And because I'm in on leadership committees and I know what the leaders are dealing with and I know the constraints that are facing them. I have a bit more patience and just a bit more understanding of of what leaders have to balance. And And being just privy to more of these meetings, I think that my conversations are just a little bit more, or my idea and thoughts around the work is just more nuanced now. I think when I came in, I was like, we need to change X, Y, and Z. We need to do this. We need to push this. And I'm still very vocal and and have an activist perspective. But I do think when we have conversations with leadership, we start to understand there's so many moving parts and moving pieces. And so I remember having a conversation recently with one of my mentees who was upset about, it was an organizational issue that was going on. And I just explained like the staffing, I was like, this is the number of members this person has. I get what you're saying, but this is what they're up against. This happened, this happened because I understood the details. And so I think that having the conversations from both sides and being honest about the constraints that we have and what we're trying to do and what we would like to do, I think that's even helpful. Even when I talk to leadership and they say, hey, I understand where you're coming from. I actually would like it to look like this, but this is the constraint I have right now. And so let's figure out a way to get there and to move there together. And so you're right. It's a conversation that's been happening for a while. We were, the millennials were the worst at one point. We wanted <laughs> it too many demands. <laughs> now we're the ones moving up in leadership. Now it's Gen Z. We can't forget about Gen X, even though we often forget about it in conversation. So I'm so glad that Elle is providing this perspective because I feel like we talk about the boomers and then we rarely talk about Gen X. Gen X, I believe, if you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the generation that they say they were like the latchkey kids. They were the kids that were pretty independent early on. Their parents went to work. They were the first generation to really get those opportunities where like women could go and excel in positions of power. And yeah, it's just interesting to have this conversation across all generations because we all want people to be fulfilled and happy in the work. And we also want to get the work done. So I'm hopeful. But it is challenging. I think hope is a is a good a good feeling thing to have with it. But I think you you touched on something there that you know we've talked to clients who do it and, and suggested other people do it. I think we're actually talking about it on a podcast this week. Actually, is actually setting boundaries around change and creativity and innovation. So if you've got Gen Zs in your workforce that are frustrated with a way thing is working, or why can't we change this? Why can't we do that? It's actually saying something like, look, okay. As a leader, these are the current constraints. These are the budget we have to work with. This is what's completely hard now off the table. The rest is is possible. Go, create a working group, create a, a committee, come mm. back in, in two weeks and let me know what you think the solution is. That in itself, you know, it's. I think you're right, it's going to breed this mutual empathy and, and respect for the challenges that we all have. 
but equally give somebody the control to try and make it a change and try and make it different I think often the frustration is this lack of control or lack of feeling I can do anything about it and that causes frustration and backlash if we give give our younger people some some control and the space to be creative and potentially come up with the solutions that we never could then yeah that's, yeah. A, that's a cool thing to do we've got to remember that at this point, we're only what, about 11 months away from there being more millennials and Gen Zs in the workforce of working age than there are Gen X and boomers. So it's not going away. This problem isn't going away. And just by putting your head in the sand and going, oh, well, they don't want to work is just ridiculous because there's going to be nobody else to work for you because yeah. every single year there's fewer and fewer Gen X and boomers in the, in the workforce. I agree. I love just hearing your perspectives and that you're doing this work and having these conversations is just really, really inspiring. I usually end with final thoughts. So if you have any final thoughts to share, please do. I think just, I, I, I'm stammering a little bit because it's difficult because I know you're the sort of millennial and that's your audience of millennials. So I don't think that I can, you know, I don't even presume that I can bring any advice to the generation there. The only thing that something I learned quite early on from, it was a guy called Jim Rohn, and I, and I think he might have been born, he might be before Boomer, he might be born in 1900, but he said, the best way to get what you want is to help other people get what they want. And I think that advice still stands. And I think that if we're talking, no matter whether you're talking about going and starting a business, whether you're talking about launching a new product line, why do the Kardashians do so well? People like crap on them, but why do they do so well? Because they give people what they want. They give them the, you know, the, the media they want. They give them makeup. They give them the stories. They give them, you know, they give them everything they want. So I think that if you are really are serious about employer brand, about culture, then find out what people want and give it to them because surely that's the simplest way to build a workplace, build a business on every single aspect. Yeah, I agree. And I think maybe a... Maybe a, say a side B, but that's a proper early millennial reference, isn't it? Cassette tapes. Is <laughs> <laughs> a, a part two to that? Maybe reflect on your own reactions as a leader. Like if this is really irritating you, what Gen Zs or millennials are asking for and want from work, if this really, really bugs you and you're outraged by it, reflect on why that is. Is it because you're kind of thinking, well, I went through it, so you have to as well. That's not a very healthy perspective. Is it because you're experiencing burnout? And a big part of burnout is this cynicism and this lack of meaning in your work. So if you're not feeling it, it's going to really great on you to hear about people that want that or want to experience more of that. I think understanding yourself and building your self-awareness as a leader is one of the most powerful things you can do for your business and for your people. So yeah, my final thought would be, if this is really irritating you, do some work to find out why, because that's not a healthy and happy place for, for you to be. You don't want to be there. You didn't start your business as an entrepreneur, as an innovative, you know, exceptional person. You didn't start that business to stop or prevent progress and change. So maybe reflect on what's going on there. I love that. Thank you both so much for sharing your story and sharing your thoughts. It's really insightful conversation. Well, thank you for inviting us. It's, uh, it's really cool. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share the podcast with friends and family. And my hope is that these stories help you navigate your No Straight Path journey. If this content is adding value to your life, and I hope it is, please take a few minutes out of your day to rate the show and write a review. 
You can click the link in the show notes to write a review. It helps other listeners find the show and I just really appreciate it. Have a lovely week, embrace the journey, and remember, you're not alone.